the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, August 21st. Waited a little bit on this one because I heard the rumors coming down about Jonathan Taylor and possibly Indianapolis saying, all right, let's, let's trade this guy. Let's get this guy out of here. I'm not sure it's that direct yet. He has been granted permission to seek a trade. So I decided, all right, it's just going to be a running back show yet again. Here's what we're doing. Dalvin Cook and Zeke Elliott's contract details are in, including the incentive packages. I'm going to break those down for you as much as possible. Then I'm going to flip the switch to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, destinations. They're looking for a first-round pick in Indy. Let's talk about that and recent running back trades. Maybe I should say not-so-recent running back trades and how those went in terms of compensation, what Indy might actually get out of this thing. Destinations where Jonathan Taylor makes sense. And one destination at least, maybe one and a half, where it's not just about getting this guy in the door for a year, but maybe locking him into that contract and what that contract could look like immediately in the next week and a half or two weeks, depending on how quickly this thing comes to fruition. But a couple of running backs to talk about, Taylor's situation to talk about, and then the back end of the show, I've got a piece coming out probably tomorrow, maybe in a couple of days here, talking about the projected starting lineups in terms of offenses in the NFL and what those average combined salaries look like. All right. What does it look like for a starting running back and a starting wide receiver and a starting tight end? And then in comparison to what the starting quarterback is right now, averages, combined salaries, all sorts of numbers to throw at you here. And uh, it, it definitely leads to a bigger conversation, which I get to at the end of this show, which is if you think the quarterbacks are big and important, I'm not sure until you hear these numbers that you understand just how big it is. And uh, I hope that the article and what I say to you at the end of the show really kind of brings it back into focus with just how big the gap is, not only in this sport, but with this position across all the sports that we cover and all the sports that you probably watch. Uh, it's not getting worse. It's getting better. It's getting bigger. It's getting wider. It's getting bigger numbers. But right now for 2023, the numbers are eye popping in there. It's the, that's the uh, focus of the back end of this show. So hope you enjoy it. That's next. Dalvin Cook does the expected. Joining the New York Jets, it seemed like every AFC East team was kind of the uh, the list for him for the past couple of months here. And on August 14th, we finally got our answer. He joins Aaron Rodgers and the Jets and will be aligned with Brees Hall, the second-year player who suffered a nasty injury last year after really coming out of the gate flying. It seems like there's a chance this is one of the best one-two punches in all of football. And that's exactly what every team's looking for right now. And they're looking for a one-two punch that is inexpensive. We will get there at the back end of this show in terms of running back spending and positional spending and how things sort of shake out from starting lineups for week one based on what we know at this point in time. But Devil Cook is a jet. It's a one-year, $7 million contract in terms of base value. That $7 million is not fully guaranteed, however. His one and change million dollar base salary is fully guaranteed right now. And there's two different versions of per game active bonuses. One of them is essentially you're not suspended. <laughs> okay. So you're on the 53 or the injured list or the pup list for all 17 weeks, actually all 18 weeks, including the bye week not suspended for any of them. And he gets $4.72 million this year. So, for all intents and purposes, that plus the base salary, $5.8 million, is the guarantee at signing. There's really a very small chance, right, that he doesn't get any of it. 
Then there's your traditional per game active 46 man roster, 70,000 and change per week. That's out of 17 weeks, totally in a max of 1.2 million. That's your 7 million base. So it's 1 million plus 260,000, as long as you're basically not suspended per week, plus another 70, 71,000 if you're active and ready to play per week. So that's, it's con- pretty conditional based, but it's also pretty likely he's going to see around 7 million and then some because there's 1.6 million of incentives, which we know the breakdown for. 1,250 rush yards is $400,000. 1,500 yards from scrimmage is $400,000. Let's compare to what he did last year. 1,173 rushing yards and just under about 1,468 in yards per scrimmage. So neither of these metrics are likely to be earned. They stay off the cap for now. If he's Delvin Cook from last year, and he, he can play probably 15 to 16 weeks on this Jets team, there's a chance. I wouldn't say it's likely uh, because A, Aaron Rodgers likes to throw the ball, which could impact his yards from scrimmage from a receiving standpoint. But Brees Hall is going to get some carries. There's no question about it that this is going to be a, a shared operation as long as both of these players are healthy. And the final piece of this puzzle in terms of incentives, $205,000 per playoff win as long as he has 1,250 rushing yards in the regular season. So none of the playoff incentives actually kick in unless he has a incentive-worthy rushing yard season. So again, conditional-based. This is the, uh, the life of the running back, right? So while, while the $7 million sounded great, and I'm pretty sure he's going to get down close to that, if not exactly that, when it's all said and done, the likelihood that this becomes $8.6 million is probably not great. Um, because like I said, it's, a, it's going to be a shared process, probably a spread offense that Aaron Rodgers likes to dictate. None of Aaron Rodgers players with the exception of Devonte Adams, who was kind of the alpha really went big in terms of numbers in, in any single year. It was a, it was a spread out situation. So I'm not going to expect that he maxes out this contract with that said, you know, the, the, the number 4 million was being thrown around the second he was released. That was a number he wasn't going to accept. And for and quite frankly, it was the number that most teams and most analysts were saying was probably likely based on where this was headed for a long summer free agency. The fact that he's going to turn this into close to seven million is a win. It's a win for running backs. It's a win for him. And the Jets probably had to outduel a couple of teams to get there. So that was the number that they overpaid to get to. It's probably not going to be much more than that. Ezekiel Elliott to the Patriots. I told you that the $6 million in max value was probably going to be cut in half in terms of base value, and that's exactly what it was. It's a one-year, $3 million contract, but only $1.1 million of that is fully guaranteed at signing. That's a $600,000 signing bonus and five hundred dollars of his base salary, which is a near minimum $1.55. So $1.1 out of the gate. I'm here to tell you right now, there's a world where he doesn't make the, the week one roster with that contract. It's not strong enough. Okay, it's just not. It's not even. Ha- it's not even fifty percent guaranteed from a base value, right? One point one out of three million base guaranteed at signing. There's per gamers fifty thousand per week, which which total eight hundred fifty thousand. That gets us up to the three million dollar mark in terms of base, and the play- and the incentives are based on two things: yards from scrimmage and snaps. They start at 50% snaps, get to 70% snaps. It's 300,000 300, each 
for those thresholds. And uh, yards from scrimmage starts at 1,100. Max is out at 1,475. There's a world for a lot of reasons where not only does he make this roster, but he actually meets those thresholds. Um, it was a, it was a solid year last year. You know, he put in 15 weeks, started 14 of those weeks, played 17 weeks in 2021. So there's really not much questioning his durability right now. And sure there's decline in his age. You know, he's, he's at his age 28 year now in terms of running backs. That's, that's agent, unfortunately, unless you're an elite, 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 but tons of touchdowns last year on the board rush for 876 added another 92 out of the backfield from a receiving standpoint. So nearly got to a thousand yards total last year. If he gets to 1100 this year, he'll start earning $300,000 in terms of incentives. So even if he maxes it out, he's not going to approach what Delvin Cook will earn with a fairly healthy season for the Jets. But I think there's two different things to be said here. Number one, Delvin Cook, I think... There's a world where he's the week one starter, even though Ramondre Stevenson, excuse me, even though Brees Hall has the talent to do so. My guess is it'll be Cook first, Brees Hall slightly behind him on a 1A standpoint. And in New England, it's probably the opposite. It's Ramondre's team. Zeke's a slight, you know, number two behind him. He'll get third downs. He'll get goal lines. He'll certainly get some first and second downs as, as needed. But as the number two, a $3 million base versus a $7 million base makes total sense, right? The contracts are sort of speaking the the volume and the workload that we're going to see out of these two players over the next couple of weeks. By the way, I'm not insinuating that Zeke Elliott's about to get cut. What I'm saying is this is one of those contracts where you look at it and say, there's not much stability there out of the gate. That's for darn sure. And again, such is the life of a running back. Speaking of which, we're going to stay right there. I know we've talked a lot about the running backs in the past, but look, there's there's a lot of fluidity with this position and, and breaking news gets us back to another story we've talked about quite a bit. And now it's maybe simmering to the surface even more. And that's Jonathan Taylor, who has officially been granted permission to seek a trade out of Indianapolis. It appears that his standstill is working, that three or four excuses that he was that, that he's given this indie team while attending training camp injured or needs time away or family matters, whatever he's used. And, you know, honestly, God, God bless him for it. We all understand what's happening here. He can't officially hold out because the CBA really slams against him for doing so. And we understand what he's trying to do here. He is, he has been for two out of three years, one of the most prolific running backs in the league. He had a bum year last year, which kind of put a pause on the Colts ability to say, look, we want to pay you. Let's talk about this. Let's work it out. And he's basically saying, I've done enough. Let's stop, do, let's stop playing these games. Let's get me locked up so that I can be your running back star for the next 18 to 24 months. And that's fair. So now we're here. Now the Colts have said, look, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to take our foot off the, off the brake pedal here. So go find us a deal that's worthwhile. And we'll let another team deal with that whole money situation. And the fact that you were kind of a shell of yourself last year, and hopefully you can return to that form. That's what somebody else can bet on, but we're not, we're not willing to do it. Let's talk about teams before we talk about possible contract, possible teams with cap space, and then possible extension qualifications. All things we've mentioned before, but it bears getting back to the surface. I know that a lot of people will talk about Miami. And if I had to do, if if I were creating the odds in Vegas right now, something that I think is fun to do, especially from from a contractual standpoint, 
I think Miami would be at my top. I believe so. Now, I mentioned how Delvin Cook sort of wooed most of the AFC East teams. I don't think that's going to be any different here. With one exception, Delvin Cook was on the open market. He was a free man. That's not the case with Jonathan Taylor. In fact, it's probably exactly the opposite of the case. If the Colts are really going to move off this guy, they're going to want the world. And it sounds like the world starts with the first round pick. So let's jump off on a tangent here and dive down that path a little bit. What does it mean to give up a first round pick for a running back? Well, according to our data, we have to go back to 2013. Okay. It was your Indianapolis Colts giving up a first round pick to Cleveland for Trent Richardson. That's the last trade I have on record that includes an actual running back being traded for an actual first round pick. We've had plenty of situations where draft day trades have happened that have, you know, borne out somebody selecting a running back with the pick, with the first round pick that they've acquired. But this is the true, I'm talking true. We want that player and we're willing to give up a first round pick. September 18th, 2013, Indianapolis acquires Trent Richardson. The Cleveland Browns acquire the number 26 overall pick. It's a straight one for one trade. And it's not a great example, (laughs) right? Because Indianapolis knows damn well how that worked out for them. And so does Cleveland. Um, So not great data there. A, it's 10 years ago. And B, we know what happened after the fact. Hindsight is 2020 on that one. Okay. We're diving into the early 2000s otherwise with an actual player. I mean, we're talking about the Miami Dolphins acquiring Ricky Williams in 2002 for a first two thirds and giving up a fourth in that move. All right. We just don't have this kind of track record. All right. I'm sure there's a couple more sprinkled in there. I'm sure. But we don't have this kind of track record with this position. And I'm not even talking about the latest five-year devaluation. I'm talking about ever, ever. Okay. Christian McCaffrey. All right. In 2022, do we remember what he was? He, he they gave up for him, and oh by the way, he had six years left on a contract at that point in time. Okay, <laughs> five and a half years. He was traded at the deadline, October 21st, 2022. He had five and a half years, or excuse me, four and a half years remaining on that contract, upwards of 55, 60 million dollars remaining. So you weren't going to get much at that point in time from McCaffrey because you knew what you had to pay, pay for the next at least two and a half, three seasons. And we're in year three of that right now. But McCaffrey did not warrant the Carolina Panthers a first round pick. It was a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Pretty damn great. But McCaffrey is the unicorn to this day. His contract is and the player is. Taylor's great. All right. He's a great player. But we have so many examples of starting running backs being shipped to a new team either in the offseason or at a deadline for an absolute nothing pick. And we just had one an hour and a half ago, it feels like, right? April 29th, the Eagles acquired DeAndre Swift on his expiring rookie contract from Philly with a seventh for a fourth and a seventh. So it's Swift for a fourth and a seventh round swap. That's what happened before the draft. DeAndre Swift's not only going to be the starting running back for Philadelphia, there's a world where he's one of the best running backs in the NFC this year. But the way he's looked and the way he's gelled with that offense and the way that offense is so spread out and dangerous from A to Z. So it's a fourth and a seventh round swap for DeAndre Swift for one year. 
Now, will they extend him? Will they franchise tag him? That's That all remains to be seen. But if you don't think that's going to be the same scenario for Jonathan Taylor, I, I'm not even sure it's going to be that great, right? So DeAndre Swift in, they knew Miles Sanders was going to walk. They knew Boston Scott was never going to kind of, you, you know, compete for that number one spot. They do have other players, you know, Kenneth Gainwell and, and a few others who can compete on any, on any given week, but they needed a bell cow. They needed a guy to replace Miles Sanders, who, whom they just lost in free agency, and they did it with a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round swap. So, sure, the Colts are going to put their foot down and James Harden this thing and try to get the, you know, try to get their way with a first-round pick. We don't have a track record, not just because it's damn near September, not just because it's the running back in 2023, but because it's the running back at all, at all. All right. One year, 4.3, non-guaranteed. That's what the contract says. Now, if Indy wants to pay 3 million of that down to a minimum, maybe it's a different conversation. Maybe. Okay. Maybe a legitimate mid-round second pick, right? If you're Miami, if you're, and I'll start naming them, Washington, Chicago, Minnesota, Buffalo, okay? Teams I legitimately think, Chicago, Tampa Bay. These are legitimate teams that I think will be in on this conversation. However, all of them, if not, you know, most, if not all of them, are going to goff at even the second round pick, let alone the first. But if you talk about Indy retaining $3 million of that contract, that one for 4.3, maybe it's a different story. And maybe we get ourselves where it's, you know, at least a tenable situation. The only thing that Indy really wants here is the opportunity to draft Jonathan Taylor's replacement next year. Now, they're not getting a top 10 pick to do that, you know, and that's essentially what Jonathan Taylor has done for two, two out of three seasons of his rookie contract. Legitimate lottery pick running back talent. They're not getting that. Okay. They're not getting that. And if they get it, crush me everywhere for saying that they wouldn't get it. But they're not getting that here, even if they retain the salary. At best, we're talking about a conditional situation where it's a second and a third, and maybe that's maybe that second can become a first, but more likely that third becomes a second, right? Ends up being two seconds, maybe a player, something like that. But I don't think anybody at this stage, knowing that Jonathan Taylor is never going to play again for the Colts, and I believe that to be the case. He will he will injure, put himself in an injury situation before he puts himself on that field. He knows what's what's best for him right now. From a business standpoint, he can't actually hold out, right? Because he, he can't he can't risk going to restricted free agency again. We've talked about that before. But all the leverage sits here with the other team, not with Indy. Everybody knows where how this is going to end. Now, could there be a world? <laughs> I've said this before as well, where another team with a running back you know, conflict, and the Colts simply just say, "Let's just flip this thing over." Okay, let's do a second round pick swap, potentially, plus Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor. And let's just call this a day, Las Vegas and Indy. Not likely. I'm just putting it out there that there's two teams sort of in the same boat here. Although rumor has it that Josh Jacobs will report for week one. Jonathan Taylor has absolutely made nothing public that he will do so. So I'm just, I just want to get that out there that it's not like Vegas is any much better off here. There seem to be a little bit better off here. And he, obviously Jacobs works in that offense, but um, that's an avenue that could be addressed here. Who's the most likely team? I've given you probably, you know, my hot take draft compensation. 
a second and a third where the third can become a second based on snaps or rushes or playoff berths or whatever you need to do. There's all sorts of ways to do that. And oh, by the way, Indy might have to eat some of that 4.3 million, not from a cap perspective, just, just from a sweet in the pot perspective. All right. Taking on Jonathan Taylor at 4 million is great. Taking on Jonathan Taylor at 1 million is outstanding. And that, that certainly sweetens the pot from a trade compensation standpoint. So if they want, if it, if the return is what they're looking for most, and obviously it is, in my opinion, they have to sweeten that pot. All right. Miami's probably at the top of this list, even though I love the most Jeff Wilson scenario, you know, two is going to do what he's going to do. In my opinion, they have to do as much as possible with their run game to keep Tua Tungavailoa healthy. And whether it's over-signing, over-producing, maybe over-using the run game, especially early in the year, you know? Yes, they're going to need it when the weather breaks, but early in the year, get this guy some confidence, lighten this guy's load as much as possible. And I think Mostert Wilson and a couple other guys they have in that roster can do it, but you drop Jonathan Taylor on that, now there's real, real game planning happening, right? It's not just we have to be prepared for the gimmick and gadgets that those players can offer. Now you have to be prepared for all those gimmick and gadgets that, that you know, Mike McDaniel can do, but also worry about Jonathan Taylor taking over an entire game from start to finish, all three downs, something we've seen him do before in this league. So it's not an absolute requirement in Miami, but in my opinion, it covers the quarterback's butt and it really makes that offense scary, immediately scary. One more team I believe that could have the exact same effect for, Baltimore. If Baltimore, Miami want to do this, it is a luxury trade that could immediately take them from, man, they look really good, to wow, literal wow periods, right? So I'd put those two teams at the top of that list and slightly under that because, because I actually think there's a, a roster need here for Buffalo with Damian Harris banged up already and who knows how that's going to go from, for 18 weeks here. And James Cook, maybe not ready to fully take on the role. I think he's talented. I'm not sure he's 100% ready to take on the role. And you, get, you put him next to this guy, even if it's just for one year with the franchise tag available next year. We all know it even if it's just for one year. And I think this team, who's obviously all in, you know, as any contender would be, becomes a wow. They immediately become a wow. I don't think it's a need. It's a luxury. And if you don't want to give up a second round pick for a luxury, I'm completely on board with that. I understand that line of thinking. What I'm saying is I think there's some roster rumblings and, you know, Dalvin Cook going to the Jets and a couple other things happening in the AFC that could make you say, you know what? It'd be, it'd be foolish not to do everything possible right now this year. That's all I'm saying about Baltimore, Miami, and Buffalo. All right. Chicago, why not? It, but if it's Chicago, let's think long-term. Let's bring him in. Here's how we're going to get Jonathan Taylor to say yes to this, okay? A, we're going to give the compensation we need to give up. But in return, we're going to sign him to a new contract immediately, all right? We're going to take the franchise tag off the table we're going to do everything that he wants to do so that not only is Indy happy with what we're giving up, and by the way, the Bears might not be the best team, so decent draft picks coming back. So not only is Indy happy, but we're bringing this guy in to a solid running core. You know, the Herbert kid looked good. Um, you know, they, they punted on Montgomery and a couple others, but we're bringing in a guy that is going to facilitate J Justin Fields for the next three years. All of this year guaranteed, all of next year guaranteed, 
and then a conditional guarantee in year three in 2025. And we're getting that out of the way right now. So that the only thing we're talking about is Jonathan Taylor on the field and not what's going to be next, right? And every week it's, well, he had a stinker of a week six. There's no way we're paying this guy. He's not even worth the franchise tag because that's what talk radio is going to do to every running back situation for the next forever, all right, because of the fragility of it. So if I'm in the bear situation, different from Baltimore, Miami, Buffalo, if I'm in the bear situation, if I'm in Washington's situation, I'm thinking bigger. I'm thinking longer term, all right? I'm thinking about not only replacing or upgrading what we currently have, but thinking about facilitating a running back position and shutting the world out from that conversation for at least two years. So that's my head. Quickly on the contract. Uh, I've talked about it a bit. I want to get back to it real quick here. Posted a tweet, oh boy, about three weeks ago now that I just did some quick math and it's not the kind of valuation math I'm used to doing, but nothing about the running back market is, is what we used to do with it, you know? And quite frankly, we have to start getting creative just like their agents do and just like they do about how they deal with their business and the business side of their career right now. So 4.3 million remaining this year, there's probably an $11.5 million franchise tag waiting for them next year in most scenarios. And then after that, there's probably a $13.8 million second franchise tag waiting for him in most scenarios as well. Those three years add up to just under $30 million, about $29.6 million. So if we're thinking about this in the context of a multi-year extension, $30 million over three years, it's all right. Okay? I mean, that's pretty damn good for running back stuff. It's not great for any other position, you know, tight end excluded here. But that's a pretty good three-year chunk of money, which you know, is why I've been saying, if you're offered 10 million, if you're offered 11 million on these tags, you probably just have to do it for the betterment of the position itself, because getting those tags on record will keep the top five caps, the top five salaries, at least in that threshold versus you risk falling off a cliff and the whole position crashing under, you know, into the eights and sevens, where I think it probably might go if people don't hold on for dear life. So near 30 million over three years with just playing out rookie contract, franchise tag, franchise tag. Nick Chubb, who I think is a really good comp here. When Cleveland signed him in the last year of his rookie year, which was the fourth year, similar to Taylor, he had 24.4 million in the final year of his rookie contract, plus a franchise tag, plus a second franchise tag. So 5 million less than what Taylor's offered here, but a couple years later. So inflation, yada, yada, yada. He ended up signing with Cleveland that offseason for just under $28 million for three years. Okay? So if we, if we take the cap then and, and use the cap now and just adjust everything up to where we are right now today in 2023, if Jonathan Taylor simply follows in Nick Chubb's footsteps from a percentage standpoint, he could turn $29.6 million into $33 million over three. So $11 million per year, $33 million for three years, Maybe 24 million of that's guaranteed. Maybe that's probably, I'm probably being generous there, but that's the cash output for three years, right? If that's the bears, let's give up a second conditional third. That can be a second. Let's give Indy what they want. And oh, by the way, we're signing him to a five year, 55 or even, even five year, $70 million contract. Sounds unbelievable, right? But only 33 million over the next three years, 25 of that guaranteed at signing, whatever it's going to be. You know, back down to earth where things need to be for running backs right now. Those are the numbers. Okay. Those are the numbers. And it's not a gazillion dollars. It's way less than McCaffrey money. It's all the things we've been talking about. It's all real. None of this is fake. This is really happening. 
But there are scenarios, in my opinion, where he is worthy of an extension and it's a modified extension based on where 2023 lives right now, but can still be on par with what Nick Chubb did two years ago, with what Derrick Henry has been doing, even at age 29. I think it's there. Don't think Buffalo is going to offer it. I don't think Miami's going to offer it. I don't think Baltimore would offer it. I'm not positive Washington would offer it. I do think Chicago would. Okay. So if we're rooting for the whole package here for Taylor in the next couple of weeks here, the Bears are probably the best case scenario for a lot of reasons. I'd put Miami and Buffalo in, I don't know, places I'd love to see him for 2023 for contention reasons. And I'm throwing Baltimore in there myself. I have not heard a single soul say the Ravens, but with, with Dobbins injury history, yes, I like Gus Edwards for a different scenario and a different role, but they've gone all in on the wide receiver market. They've shored up their defense now to replace a couple of injuries. They went even outside of their lines a little bit for Javon Clowney and obviously brought back Lamar. Um, why not? And it feels a little bit like that Buffalo conversation where let's cover Lamar's ass a little bit and go all in for what could be a really, really prominent 2023, especially if we got this guy. Okay. Quickly, I have more numbers. If you are here for numbers, it's a big number show. It's a big NFL number show. I'm going to post this article probably, yeah, I'll get to it tomorrow, Tuesday, Tuesday, August 22nd. This should be live on spotdrite.com. It's a simple one. I'll expand upon it as much as possible and pull out some facts and figures as much as possible. But what I've done is I have run projected depth charts for every single team in this league heading towards week one. Uh, who do I think the starting quarterback is? Blah, 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 blah. Except here's what I did. Because I do do this every week. If you, if you, if you haven't been following that, there is a depth chart still on Track, And for years and years and years, every Sunday morning and before Thursday night football and before Monday night football, I look. I run through all the injuries and all the uh, all the ins and outs and, and the starting lineups, and I actually update the starting lineup for every single game, every single week, and track it financially so that we can put together a weekly payroll, ups and downs, trends, backs and forth, et cetera, et cetera. And we we show all this, and you can filter by week and by season on the tool on spotrit.com. So before I actually get to who's actually going to be on the field week one, what I wanted to do is who are the intentional starters, right? Who are the most probable starters, if not for suspension, for injury, et cetera, right? So for instance, with Arizona, for purposes of this exercise, Kyler Murray is still the starting quarterback because he has been signed and acquired to be their starting quarterback. Now, he's not going to be the week one quarterback. Obviously, that'll be Colt McCoy. But for purposes of this, it's all the obliged starting lineups, right? And all I've done is I've took quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. One quarterback, two running backs, four wide receivers, and two tight ends. Sort of the kind of thing we see on a week-to-week basis. Here's the numbers. I'll be brief with the numbers. You can read more about it on spotchart.com tomorrow. But there's, a, there's at least one fact I have to pull out of here for pod purposes. Uh, tight ends. All right. The average salary... Of, of, the, of the 32 starting number one tight ends in football, the way that I read it and the way most of the depth charts read it, is 7.3 million. It's a pretty good number. All right? That's a, that's a pretty nice number. It's highly drafted players and decently well-paid players. You know, Three for 21 kind of stuff right now is, is the average. 
those 32 tight end ones combined for about 234 million of average salary. Keep that in mind. I'll get back to it. Don't worry. Wide receivers. Again, I'm using a lot of sources here and some logic. The 32 number one wide receivers, right? One on each team. The average salary of those players, 12.6. So a hefty much more than tight ends, as you might expect. About five and a half million more than the starting tight ends. Totaling up over 405 million. So 405 million for the 32 WR1s, 234 million for the 32 tight end ones. Running backs. <laughs> the average salary for the starting RB1 right now amongst the teams is 5.2 million. Okay. Easily the smallest I have here. It's about 2 million less than the starting tight end. It's about seven and a half million less than the starting wide receiver one. So, you know, for every Stefan Diggs on your team, there's a James Cook making at least seven and a half million less on average. And that's just the way it works. The 32 starting running backs in the league. Okay. So, what I've deemed the RB ones total 167 million of average salary. It is less than half of what the 32 wide receivers account for. It is about a third or about two thirds what the starting tight ends are. So I've had a lot of conversations where I equated the tight ends to the running backs. And for the most part, the contracts that are bearing out, the extensions that are coming out do look similar and are structured similar with guaranteed percentages and things like that. But pound for pound, the, the actual players that are hitting the field from a starting basis it's apples and oranges, okay? There are so many. It, it, either week one, right? Year one rookies, your Bijans, your Gibbs, year two rookies, somewhere on a rookie contract running backs, flat out UDFAs, okay? And now we got a couple of franchise tags, which are actually trending things north a little bit, right? Actually pulling those averages up a little bit. So there's a real, 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 real world where... The average starting running back in, in football dips under five million next year. I think I think we're headed there. And to me, that is a big tipping point. That's troublesome, but we're headed there. Quarterbacks. The average QB1 AAV is 25.3 million right now. Again, that's including everybody who should be starting. Should be. Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, et cetera, et cetera. The 32 combined QB1s have AAVs that equal over $812 million. It's just a staggering number. It's an unbelievable number, okay? It's an unbelievable number. And the crazy part about it is that Burrow's still coming, all right? Burrow's going to increase this thing by at least $30 million, probably $40 million, within, what, a couple of weeks here? So that gets us to near the 850 mark. We've got Trevor Lawrence next year, maybe Justin Fields next year. I'm pretty sure Dak Prescott's getting a new contract by next year. I know Kirk Cousins is getting something next year that's going to increase his AAV at some point. And that's just without really getting doing much homework on this. That's just out of the gate. So I think there's a possibility, if not a real, real possibility, that the 32 starting quarterbacks in 2024, next season, 
combined for over a billion dollars of AAV. I, I think that's a real thing. As it stands right now, at 812 million and change, those 32 quarterbacks account for more average salary than every starting running back, every starting wide receiver, and every starting tight end in all of football, right? 32 plus 32 plus 32 players. And that still leaves you about 5 million to spare. And that's just fact. That's just math. The 32 quarterbacks are covering all the RB1s, all the WR1s, all the tight end ones with room to spare. That's how big this position has grown. And it's not slowing down. And like I said, it's going to increase, I don't know, in, maybe in 24 hours with Joe Burrow, who is just on the cusp of this massive blockbuster extension. So if you think that we're using hyperbole or if we're over-talking about quarterbacks or if quarterback tiers and things like that are just becoming too much, we're probably underserving this position, truly. All right? We're probably listening to too much BS amongst the rest of the league and amongst the, uh, the hot take you know, stoves. And not understanding just how big this cap has gotten within the last 10 years, 8 to 10 years. It is diabolically the most important, most well-paid posi- single position in any sport, anywhere right now. And it's on a fast track to just absolutely explode even more. TV money's not going to slow this down. Okay, Somebody's going to win 15 games this year because of their quarterback, and that quarterback's going to need a new contract next year. And we're going to be talking about 60 million, 250 guaranteed. That's going to be the new threshold. And it's not stopping. So sure, the, the NBA money's crazy, you know, and it's great. But for every $70 million per year contract that we start to see, it's in the, it's in the realm of one out of five starting players and one out of 15 or 12 total players on a roster. This is legitimately one player making 55 to 60 million a year on a roster that has minimum 53. And when you plug in 16 practice squad players and you know eight to 10 injured list players and et cetera, et cetera, we're talking about close to 80 players at any given time. One player is earning 60 in a salary cap of 232, 40, 250 when there's 80 miles to be fed on that roster. That's insane. Okay. And we can talk about how we shouldn't cross sports up and things like that. This is why. Okay. All right. This is why Anthony Davis making $70 million on a Lakers team of 12 players is crazy. But this is insane. Okay. When Trevor Lawrence's number next year is, is released. And when, you know, we start seeing Patrick Mahomes restructure, I didn't even mention that yet. Mahomes is going to get a new contract here at some point in time. And he may take a discount. He may not. Okay. But as these numbers continue to push, just think about it. It's not even in 53 or 55 man rosters. It's in 80 man rosters. Because guys on the IR are getting paid, right? Guys in the practice squad are getting paid. Now, it's all, you know, limited money at that point in time. And there's plenty of players making league minimums to account for this. But just understand where this gap is going, all right? Again, I'll say it again as a walk-off here. The 32 projected QB1s in this league account for $812 million of, of average salary, which is $5 million more than every RB1, WR1 and tight end one in the game right now. That's what the quarterbacks are doing. And I can't say it's not worth it. I can't, I don't think I like it. I think I wish there was a little bit more parity and flexibility and, and, and pollination trickle down effect here, you know, and and I wish there were more versions of Derrick Henry where a team simply said, we can't not pay you 
because of what you do for this roster. I think there are more running backs out there like that, but I just don't see it happening. And, and this is the reason. The reason is we have got to keep up with the quarterback rat race. If we have one, we got to pay the hell out of one. And if we don't have one, everybody else on the roster has to go away until we find one. And then we'll start the process back up. It's wicked. It's diabolical. It's ridiculous money, but it's here and it's not going away. It's only going to get it worse. We'll be keeping track of it all. <laughs>